G'day, guys. Welcome to this week's Hash It Out. This is CW, and I am joined once again by Armenio and Noah. How are we, gentlemen? Doing pretty well. well. That's good to hear. Uh, we're going to hash it out this week on DeFi and stablecoins, assumptions, everything like that. Like, just sort of sum up the industry and sort of see where we end up. So, um, who wants to kick things off? Oh, I guess I will. Um, you know, there's a forum post by Alex this week that, uh, you know, touched on something that we've, we've covered a little bit, uh, on, like this discussion. And that has to do with like risk assumptions, right? Risk profiling. Um, you know, in, in the traditional uh, financial sphere, there's usually, you know, sometimes independent like agencies, uh, sometimes, I don't know, quasi-independent agencies. But nonetheless, some like uh, party that tends to audit and grade financial risk for products, right? And that gives the uh, consumer some indication of financial health or red flags or what to look for. You know, it's it's basically like a risk uh assessment that you know hopefully investors uh um you know pay attention to that it's hard to say <laughs> and you know then we also have to ask the question you know every once in a while um is risk being mispriced mispackaged poorly graded absolutely that's shown up you know multiple times uh in traditional markets but nonetheless there's this concept of uh, risk management and, you know, uh, kind of the risk reward versus uh, yield and return, right? To where if something has a lower yield or return, that's generally seen as, you know, uh, being a safer product. And then as you get, uh, you know, kind of into the higher rate of returns, that's a higher indicator of risk. And so money is being, is pricing risk essentially, Right. And then we get into DeFi, and who the fuck knows what's happening sometimes, <laughs> right? Who products uh, offering tens of thousands you know, it's like of a million APY percent APY. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so it like in decentralized finance, it can be all over the place. Like I have no idea. I have no idea how you would even begin to. Um, great risk with some of the protocols because sometimes it's like okay we're gonna have a token and if you stake that token you're gonna get another w token and if you get w token um you know you're going to then get awarded with uh t token and then if you uh you know lock t token in a smart contract you get f token and so then you get wtf trio <laughs> and you know, i have no to idea the moon. yeah i have no idea what's happening right <laughs> and so sometimes, you know, sometimes in, in DeFi, I really have to ask, um, you know, how do we even gauge risk, right? It, it's it's such a squirrely, like, thing to look at because a lot of the times um, things are packaged in a way where they can't be or appear to be a security because that puts a risk on um teams potentially which okay i understand that um it's probably a product of poor legislation uh you can't have profit distribution even though that is a huge use case um you know i think that there's been drama in and around uh in terms of like the potential legalities of profit distribution and da da da, da. okay personally i think that Maybe that's a good thing to build uh, anonymously, right? <laughs> um, but you know, it it does have its 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 risks. So instead of structuring or packaging anything to look like a security that we could then grade risk, we get like governance tokens. And then, how do you grade the risk of a governance token that can't? really pay you back uh so there's no like collective fee output back to the users because then it looks like a security so 
you have control of a treasury, but you can't use uh, revenue as any form of like dividend or yeah. uh, useful payment. So it, it's just kind of insane. Becomes a race to the bottom real quick. Yeah, it's, I have no idea what the fuck's happening <laughs> sometimes in, in, in DeFi. Like I get the core you know, idea of decentralized finance. I think there's huge use case to that. But then when we get into like the governance side and governance bribes and, uh, you know, how do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, like what, it's a, it's a weird animal, man. Strange soup. (laughs) And then, uh, so you take one thing that probably doesn't make sense and is designed a certain way to be, um, I'm just going to say safe on the regulatory front. That's the intent. Like it, it would make a lot more sense if you had something that has fee revenue to create, you know, distribution, then you create a financial product, you have income, you have the ability to track that, you have the ability to forecast that out. Um, you know what I mean? It does become like a business rather than, you know, there's cash flow essentially. Um, versus, you know, we're going to make, a hundred billion governance tokens for something <laughs> that maybe we'll get 25 people engaged in governance and then the rest will use it as a speculative asset. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. The, the whole profit distribution side of things, I can see that being a really, really uh, huge incentive for protocols and people to participate in running protocols and even just participating like, distributing funds and and profit sharing like like you mentioned um like in a legacy sort of system having a dividend payout and all that sort of stuff like that could be a huge potential for DeFi. yeah but then you get on the flip side you've got that whole sec overarching enforcement sort of crap that there's no regulation there's no um there's no legislation there's no regulation of that um, and it's just all speculative and SEC to make up their own rules on the way on, on the run. Well, you know, it's silly that they are trying to, I, I understand why, like, let's say you have an American, somebody from Australia, somebody from Europe, somebody from Russia, somebody from China and, you know, somebody from Turkey and then somebody from Jordan, right? You have a distributed community and they're like, Hey, let's jointly invest in a business that we co-manage and we, um distribute profits across borders right well then who's you know whose jurisdiction is going to manage that right like it's something that kind of transcends uh the analog processes that a lot of traditional business and kind of corporate structures have been built in which is usually very much jurisdictional based versus when you have these um peer-to-peer networks it's just like hey we're on the internet right and that internet transcends um you know the domains of you know the little fiefdoms that exist in the world so then it creates a problem you know how do we package it in this fiefdom and then apply in you know that country and oops now there's drama between these two which you know citizens at the bottom really can't do a thing about yeah. Um, so it, it's fascinating to watch. Uh, it's kind of crazy to be involved in sometimes. <laughs> it becomes very messy. Um, you know, there's going to be a transition period between legacy and this sort of internet jurisdiction that you're talking about. And we see that everywhere in crypto and even the the EF, I know. Mm-hmm. There's been issues with, or not issues, uh, just uh, hurdles to overcome. We can call it issues. So we have a we have Russians on that we collaborate with, and suddenly there's a war. There's geopolitics. Right. You know, it's messy. It's messy. It's messy humans, and you know, you have people that are like, ah, oh, the EF needs to, you know, release a statement and be political and choose a side. And it's like we're just trying to build open source software, man. People. Are, down the street are going to do whatever they're going to do. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. It, it's something that I always contemplate as well. Like, because like you mentioned, 
um, if you've got the different fiefdoms and things like that, like you mentioned, in a traditional sense, you'd just have one entity, like the corporate, uh, the the company would be registered in uh, mm-hmm. jurisdiction A or whatever. Um, but then, yeah, being on a decentralized sort of platform on a decentralized protocol, it doesn't really matter where you are. It's just, and then I guess the citizen of each jurisdiction just pays their own dues in in um, like ransom or uh, and taxes and all that sort of stuff as it comes along. So um yeah it's it's a funny one to think about there it's very it's very difficult question and the reality is um in my opinion that that in and of itself is disruptive to existing powers it just is you know we're creating financial tools that um are designed to not need them involved yeah exactly yeah you know we start we're, we're cutting out uh you know ideally cutting out middlemen cutting out the legacy system and um you know that has kind of been even within crypto you have a lot of uh projects that are like hey you know we need adoption by you know pepsi cola and corporation a and uh you know if mcdonald's will throw some nfts in the happy meals on our blockchain <laughs> that's the future right and uh, it gets into this weird uh like self-regulation zone yeah. where certain protocols will only allow access to certain countries and um, or a user has to use a VPN to like mm-hmm. access a front end or something like like with Jed that released today they they don't allow Americans to access the website sure and even, even just, look at uh, ErgoPad you know um yeah right you know, doing the uh, spectrum ido that had some you know they had to play within the rules of certain fiefdoms because lawyers came and said hey you could you know get some heat on this uh-huh. you know okay i kind of see both sides i really enjoyed the fact that staking keys showed up on the auction house right so <laughs> when there's a market yeah that was pretty great <laughs> yeah when there's a market people find a way <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I'm one to do things sort of within the boundaries. They might be mm-hmm. extended a little bit here and there, but I always try and do the right thing. And like even just wanting wanting to participate in the SPO uh, SPF token IDO. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's a bit of a kick in the guts in one respect because you want to do the right thing. You want to participate. You want to fund and help in that respect. But then, obviously, on the flip side of that, um, there's, I don't know, I'm just going to say it's like kind of scaremongering in some respects because there is so much uncertainty with regulation, um, not just like now, but in the future. So it's kind of yeah. just weighing up your options. And like you said, like at the, at the beginning, like you're mitigating that risk sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, most average yep. users aren't going to take the time to read through the laws and really understand what is going on. Like, especially with no tax codes and all that. It's like, what the hell? Like nobody's the gonna reality is, you know, even in our tax code, you can pay somebody that has spent their entire life studying the tax code and they may not give you great advice because it's so exactly complicated. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, many thousands of pages of, yeah. If you, if you look at that as, as code, that is so bloated. It's pathetic. Yeah, people just keep adding and adding, but they don't retract any clauses. Uh, then you just end up with this quagmire of stuff. Should be simple to compile. <laughs> like software, simple to simple to run, simple to compile, right? Instead of just outlier case, you know, 148 section F dash E, you know, who who knows? Um, could you imagine but, the IRS on the blockchain? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a terrible backend. <laughs> well, we're pretty safe. No one can read EUTXO anyway, so that's no drama. No one can read those transactions. You know, there's a there's a part of me that says that if we want to disrupt a system, we just need to make it obsolete, right? And then there's another side of me that's like, well, you also need a certain interoperability and. Uh, you know, some transition period or phase. Uh, but it's hard to say. 
that's hard to say because there is a tendency, uh, you know, if, if something chases adoption, they have a tendency to run back towards the legacy system. And, you know, it kind of changes the core intent of having open uh, permissionless uh, financial tools with fair access for everybody. Um, and that cut out middlemen. Mm. Like those, that is directly opposed to our existing system. Yeah. I remember there was quite a lot of rhetoric around like the internet and um, uh, like tertiary education offering courses and being able to sort of find certain amounts of information online that uh, or made all that information readily available for basically anyone. And there's, especially here in Australia, there's a lot of sort of discussions around um, sort of privatizing all that information, not making it available publicly and all kinds of stuff. And look where things are now. Like here, we've got open universities. I know, um, I think it's, is it MIT, even Boston? A few, like I know there's a number of um, uh, universities over in America that are open sourcing all their courses and everything like that. So if you you can go and study it, you can pass it and all that sort of stuff, but you just might not necessarily have the piece of paper from attending the university. So look how far that's come in sort of a matter of 15, 20 years or something. And we're basically halfway into that now, like in regards to sort of the creation of this industry. Yeah. The internet is a crazy thing. It really is in terms of uh, good ideas are hard to stop and information, you know, is, is literally viral in like the (laughs) medical sense (laughs) where, you know, it's replicating and it's very hard to, and shut down so you know that is a disruptive technology it's been a disruptive technology since it started to move into the mainstream it's interrupted economies it's interrupted and changed how businesses operate how government operates and that trend is only accelerating and sadly we have a bunch of octogenarians that are sitting around and forecasting and trying to create legislations for how rapidly evolving technology is going to influence society, which is a terrible idea. (laughs) By the time it's implemented, it'll be outdated by 10 years. That's the crazy part. (laughs) It's like trying to hit a moving target that's three miles down the track, you know? Yeah. And only getting, getting momentum. Yeah. That whole information asymmetry ties into like with some things like we always sort of discuss here and like the open source um, concepts and everything like that as well. Like it just drives innovation forward because anyone can who does pique an interest in in um, like cryptocurrencies and everything like that, they can jump in and and hook in straight away. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me to sit back and look at it from a high level. That here you have like a rapidly evolving technology that's born from the internet which is you know arguably one of the most disruptive inventions in in human uh recorded history anyway right and then we have you know the ability to build monetary systems and transact and we are using laws from the 1930s to regulate (laughs) and Uh, somehow that's a good idea yeah we'll see how things shake out but uh it is a bit of a head scratcher i don't know it just sounds so absurd and some of the um, commentary coming from certain people and things like throughout the world um like ecb and all this sort of stuff like in regards to adoption of cryptocurrencies outlawing and just trying to claw back like this legacy sort of system and um you can just tell like certain people see how disruptive this is and they sort of want to put a like nip it in the bud straight away. But I think it's gone way too far now. And there's just a certain element of inevitability here as well. It's fascinating. Oh, go for it. No, I was just going to say, it's like you said, Joe, uh, like there's a, there's a direct financial incentive for existing powers to, try to snuff out the momentum of the technology, you know, but um, yeah, what were you going to (laughs) say? I didn't have much to say. 
I was just going to say that really, even even in uh, like the crypto's short history, it's really been fascinating to watch. Um, I would say to a large degree uh, how things have kind of evolved based on arbi- like sab- large, not arbitrage between jurisdictions is what I was trying to think of. <laughs> um, to where, you know, if, if you have a company that's in, you know, this particular jurisdiction, you know, that's friendly to the industry because there's a profit incentive, right? And if I had some small uh, economic region like El Salvador, I can certainly see how that could potentially create an inflow of investment and, you know, bootstrap new aspects of a digital economy, which, you know, could really attract a lot of talent and digitize a country and, um, you know, lead towards great things, right? Hopefully, anyway. And you can see how, you know, crypto has kind of like been following that uh, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction to jurisdiction over the years, um, you know, as different uh, jurisdictions kind of changed their laws for a while. But it was really nice to go to Portugal and now maybe not so much. And, oh, Puerto Rico has tax incentives and, well, maybe not so much. And, you know, Dubai is offering, you know, certain uh, tax breaks and, you know, we'll see how things flow there. And and so it's like there's always a search for the jurisdiction that's going to support kind of a free, open and fair uh decentralized ecosystems. And I think that incentive is always going to probably be there, right? So I think that's a big net positive. But I think you also have a lot of regulators and a lot of jurisdictions that are kind of sitting around scratching their heads saying, you know, wow, everybody has an encrypted Swiss bank account that they can bootstrap on any internet connected device in the world if they can remember a series of words. That's pretty crazy. How do you stop that? How do you stop that? Um, (laughs) Well, just on that, I remember reading an article in the last couple of days about, um, I think it was CNBC released an article about someone crossing borders with a USB stick and their crypto being on the USB stick. I'm just like, yeah, there's still such a fun. I saw that too. There's still such a fundamental disconnect in how people understand how blockchain works and what the technology actually is. Yeah. Maybe that's a good thing. You think so? It could well, be. What's your it thinking? There? I mean, it's, it's like uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of like natives trying to regulate like technology that's beyond their comprehension, right? In a way, that's kind of funny. If you're if you are worried about uh, like serious, um, you know, uh, like attacks, I guess having someone that doesn't even understand your technology. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> might be might be the best adversary if if you know, somebody had like a serious concern that that you know governments were going to go after it. They certainly you know have the ability to restrict market access and make it very difficult to do business and put a high cost or burden on anyone who's going to try to play by the rules. And uh, it looks like the SEC is kind of attacking people who were trying to play by the rules. Um, so yeah, you get into like governance and politics man that's why we need p2p systems mm-hmm. because you know it, you and i don't have much say when it comes to that kind of shit we just don't yeah just cop the brunt of it um it's, you did mention a, a interesting sort of point there about el, el salvador sort of digitizing their economy and um mm-hmm. infrastructure like that I know they're going to build out like with the volcano bonds, like the decentralized other, sorry, the decentralized, um, uh, uh, like their green energy production for mining and all that sort of stuff. So having that sort of infrastructure there, not necessarily a huge upfront cost in regards to sort of um, digitizing their economy and everything like that. So um, it's been interesting to see how like a number of these smaller countries like in South America, Central America, um, like throughout Eastern Europe and all this sort of stuff, like how they will take advantage of um, like this potential technology and, and whether they do choose to embrace it or if they're kind of sort of, I guess, bullied or strong-armed into sort of turning their blind eye to it because I know there's some threats around IMF and all that sort of stuff on El Salvador's front there for a little while as well. Yeah, that's hard to say. Um, you know, they're a sovereign country, so they do have at least have some uh, 
notion anyway of being you know sovereign and independent but yeah then you have to play with the other kids on the playground and i'm sure being the little kid on the playground sometimes well sucks right this is what it is human nature um you know it's it's interesting to me not just like in terms of governing bonds and what they can fund but also kind of the secondary free market effects where you know if you say okay well noah can now get paid as a freelancer in bitcoin in my country and that's fine and um you know then you start to build a certain mind share potentially um you know that then if put to work internally you know could rapidly update some existing systems which is pretty cool to think about yeah. you know talent uh tends to work right so i don't know I, i'm really curious to see you know long term how that works certainly there's probably some external pressure by the other kids in the global playground that are like hey you're not playing around with what i want and how i want things to move but that's life right yeah i mean we even see that just in the states between each state <laughs> and we have federal laws and i'm sure it's like that in other countries with states too it's politics are very messy and people want different things that's very funny. I'll use an example in Colorado. Uh, you know, marijuana is legal on a state level, right? But you can have a city within a county that says, hey, we're not going to permit the, you know, resale of that. So you have a city that says no and a county that says yes and a state that says yes and a federal government that says no. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, somehow, that doesn't make too much sense. <laughs> no, there's, you know, so a lot of the times in, in, in business, you kind of... I have to ask whose playground are you in and what are the rules? And so it's fascinating to see um, a technology that has the potential to transcend and simplify that, codify it in a way that, you know, it's like if we create a, if we created some kind of global business as a group that I was talking about earlier, well, kind of the bylaws and the function, the back end of the business, if it was open source, which, okay, if I'm involved, it will be. Um, you everyone could see it everyone could understand how it would operate the rules would be fair and transparent and you know hopefully uh designed in a way that all of the people had consensus this is how it should run like that's fascinating versus you know then having to go into each little jurisdiction and make sure you're playing with in the rules which you know sometimes is just impossible yeah that's where how we end up with uh, the whole governance token thing that like we were talking about earlier, like mm -hmm. projects, projects are kind of shoehorned into yeah. not uh, breaking the rules. And as a result, um, innovation gets stifled. I think it's born from the wrong intent. Like, yeah, I, just that simple. I, I get the, I get the need to fundraise. I'm sympathetic to that. I, I know that people like to speculate on things. I'm sympathetic to that. But in terms of, you know, structuring financial tools, um, government's tokens just aren't it for me. I, I don't know how else to put it. You know, there's a lot of more interesting, cool use cases that could be put out there. But yeah, then you're in, in the, you know, foggy gray territory where, you know, if, you know, see how that goes legally within each little fiefdom that every user may come from. So is a question off the cuff. How fast does the flywheel have to spin to return 10,000 APY? Okay. <laughs> you know, it, it, it depends. A lot of, uh, a lot of things uh, in this space have been kind of insane in terms of, um, you know, what is that really born from? Just protocol programming. Yeah. It's not actually from any type of usefulness or uh, well, let's say something that's based in any economic reality is just codified like think about it from the perspective of someone who's in um like traditional finance and like a double figure return is a huge gain like mm -hmm. and that's that's not in the 20s 50s sort of percent like it's i'm talking just into the tens like you know what i mean like even um five percent returns like that's pretty significant and um you'd be pretty happy with that talking about someone or telling someone that you can get a ten thousand plus percent gain on something like 
I'd just love to see their reactions. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, you could look at airdrops. Am I creating like Joe dollars and I'm passing them out like, hey, take the Joe dollars. <laughs> They'll be worth something. Or am I creating a company and like, hey, guys, I want to give part of it away to everybody. Yeah. You know, what is it? Even It's hard to define. It's it's actually hard to you know define that in like some off chain reality of what's happening. Uh, sometimes, I guess, if it's like there was some method of work or testing involved, I guess you could see it as some type of like, you know, uh, share distribution, maybe. Uh, and then you know it, you, you also it's just obfuscation like, really it's just obfuscation yeah, most of the time like hey join our discord and hit an emoji <laughs> your wallet address and you know then we're going to give you free something and it's you know i'm not sure what that would be in in traditional finance maybe like marketing with coupons or something like handing them out <laughs> in yeah. the last strip i don't know yeah. buy one get one free <laughs> Yeah, it's hard you to get say. some steak knives. Yeah. So you know, in in a way, it's it's kind of funny that because things skew away from that initial desire not to be a security. I think a lot goes just wonky from first principles because of that. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I, I, ideally, I, I think that things built on blockchain. You know, I have an economic incentive to be on blockchain. And if there's no economic incentive for them to be there, just build them into a traditional system. Yeah, exactly. Straight up. Um, I, I really appreciate uh, the approach Spectrum has been taking mm -hmm. with all of their features um, trying to be positioned so that anybody can uh you know lock up liquidity or anybody can create a yield farm or you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think that trend will probably continue anyone can add a liquidity pool um Even on a lot of the off-chain bots like the, the yeah exactly services. that's huge it, it's like there's there's always going to be uh, a group of people that contribute to the ongoing life of uh, a piece of technology. Um, but having that sort of uh, control of the protocol being gatekept mm. is, is not is not great. <laughs> and no. I, I really like what they're doing in that way. Having it I open to everyone. I mean, let's be honest, I, I you know, uh, kind of connected them to the people that gave them the advice and said, hey, you might want to be careful um you know and in terms of how you distribute tokens because it could create you know issues and uh you know so i'm i'm privy to that conversation i understand it people have you know family they have responsibilities they have things they have to protect so you know they have to manage their risks in that sense um but i do think it's important for things to be open source end to end if they're not i don't know uh why anyone would use it I wouldn't like that's unpopular to say, but I don't care. I'll say it anyway. Um, you know, it, that puts trust right back into the system. And ideally we're trying to get away from these little fiefdoms to where people can transact globally uh, with no need for middlemen and no need to trust each other. And, you know, if they, I come and I say, Hey, you have to come into my little fiefdom and use my server and use, you know, code that you can't see. Um, you know, I hope people are offended by that in a way. Yeah, not it's, it's just built on the resilience of the system. I would well. hope. <laughs> yeah, like it just builds on the resilience of the systems as well. Like being open, decentralized, anyone can run the infrastructure, whether that's front end, um, the off chain infrastructure, or the back end as well. Um, it, anyone can spin it up, anyone can run, anyone can compile it. Uh, like you might shut it down. Like I remember um, oh, back in the day, like with torrent sites and um, like Napster and all this sort of shit, like if someone shut something down, it would be spun up and within 24 hours, you've got like a user base transitioned onto another website and it's running again. Like 
um, it just yeah, it, it just completely builds the the resilience yep. of the platform itself. Yeah, I was just thinking about that on Signify. I was playing around on the the public beta website, and um, you know, I hope it doesn't get shut down, but. <laughs> I'm sure you know, if it I, does, it'd be very easy to pop up another one. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I hope that these systems become so resilient that really the uh, question just has to do with how you, the end user, manage your risk and what you choose to interact with and what you choose to disclose. And you know, I, I think that if things are built the right way, um, you know, they'll be open and accessible enough that if Noah downloads something, he runs the front end locally, he runs the off chain code locally, and he makes a choice locally, that's a local choice. And then it's up to him what he does with it, right? Yeah. And if everyone does that? Yeah. You know, but then it's self responsibility, and that's dangerous. <laughs> Humans don't like that. <laughs> they don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> They need someone to whinge at if something goes wrong. Yeah, everybody. That's, that's, what, that's what the KYA button is for. Oh, you know, like that's the one thing in this space that if there's anything that I think people should just kind of get the backhand for, it's when they're like, "Ah, oh, we need to call in," you know, the third party because I have an advantage in you know court. You know, whether it's, you know the Bitcoin maxis the. Uh, you know, he saying that about random stuff, even projects between each other. When you start calling in the ref in a peer to peer system, just get the fuck out. Yeah, we've seen that. And I don't, I don't know what to say. Well, I've got lots of things to say about it, but I don't think this is a forum to do so. <laughs> it's funny. Good, anyway. good old crypto shit slinging. Yeah, it's funny anyway. Uh, yeah. I could go on a proper rant there, but I'll choose not to. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> so in regards to DeFi, um, what would you say is something that's sustainable from an API front? Like just well, a hypothetical. I think, I think that if you, if you take, um, let's say API and you model that after some existing uh financial primitive right i think the market will ultimately decide but then it's a matter of saying okay well what is the risk right you know let's say that you're going to lend noah money right you're either going to say okay well you know what do i know about this character or what kind of collateral is he going to put up and how are you going to price the risk of the return you want to make based on that situation. I think the market should decide that. I think having a protocol saying we're going to print this clip regardless of market conditions or um, you know what's happening, you know, in within the protocol is silly. Yeah, I think also um, just based on how a lot of these APYs are structured. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, the APY is in some governance token that yeah, it's in a different currency even. Like yeah, we're it's like what are we even talking yeah. about? Yeah. A, a governance token that almost inevitably is going to just devalue itself to hell. <laughs> so then, what does the APY even mean if there's some crazy high number in Sexy, something so that's attracts people and make number go up? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. two months all... from now, it's going to be worthless. So, <laughs> what's the point of the APY anyway? You know. No, then we're gonna make we're gonna call a quorum, and we're going to you know do the DAO, which is what devs arguing online, and we're going to um, create a incentive to just burn all the tokens. <laughs> so now they're super rare, and the price goes up. <laughs> like there's all kinds of just madness that I think if things were modeled to be financial instruments from the get go. Um, and say, okay, these are open source, transparent, uh, decentralized instruments that anybody can track, anybody can interact with. They're fully autonomous, they, you know, and throw those on chain. It'd be a lot more interesting if your APY was paid in a base currency, you know, whether it's ERG or ETH or, uh, you know, whatever uh, ecosystem you're, you're in, rather than 
you know, we're going to create a new type of money that's not a security, it's a governance, and then we're going to, I don't know. I, I think it's the wrong choice from first principles, to be honest. I understand why it's made. Um, number one is because it's highly profitable. And when you're talking about actual like security, you're relying on revenue model, which is very different than let's a thousand X this, even though there's no code base, <laughs> which sometimes we see in this space, which is insane. Um, you know, and the others, there's legal reasons where, you know, if you create a security and you just, you know, sell a unlicensed security in some unlicensed way, you know, maybe you're criminal and uh, should pay for that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting. And I had a conversation. Oh, go ahead, CEO. I was just going to say what, and that depends what jurisdiction you're in. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a conversation. I can't remember who it was with, but it was it was about uh, if you strip away all of the incentives for providing liquidity and providing. Um, like pooled lending, uh, yeah, like everything that gets people to lock up value. If all of the incentives were taken away and everything was purely based off of uh, user driven, just like the value created by the desire to actually mm -hmm. use these systems, what would be left? <laughs> what would yeah. we be left with? That's and a good question. There's very that's little, I think. Good. You know, yeah. I, I would say that a lot of uh, a lot of things would disappear. I think most. Yeah, most and, and things. Yeah, I think probably the biggest difficulty uh, in that gap, like how do we fill that gap, has to do with um, you know either rails that allow people to kind of create hybrids or a lack of actual local economic communities right so like you know if noah had people in his area that he would transact and change exchange value with in this currency rather than just online through a uh centralized exchange against the fiat peg <laughs> or a stable coin that represents the fiat peg um i i think we you would see a lot more actual value being created from uh, those type of transactions versus uh, when it's just you holding something and, and trading it as a uh, speculative asset against a synthetic version of a fiat currency. Uh, I think to some degree, we've lost the narrative of, of, of actual P2P money and, and what that could potentially do for people. Yeah, that stems into like even lets and all oh, that sort of cool counter economic tools as well like that's one thing i'm in the DeFi scene that i'd like to see sort of kick off as well i'll, I'll use i'll pick on ucw because you have you know business that you know uh, you ran prior to coming to ergo you have certain things that are more like labor oriented and then you have certain things that have uh let's say external costs where you have to go to you know whether it, it's a middleman or a manufacturer uh, and pick up real world you know, supplies goods, and then it's some combination of uh, kind of real world, you know, supplies, goods, commodity, technology, and then skill and labor to actually do something with it. Yep. And there's always some breakdown between those costs. So I would imagine, you know, even if there's uh, you know, more of a decentralized community that is uh, using uh, cryptocurrency more as like a actual medium of exchange, you still need some uh overlap in terms of like a how do you you know pull from external markets and have some sort of foreign currency exchange uh, even though it's digital instead of fiat to fiat so it's an interesting question i think that tends to be the bigger problem is that that technology doesn't exist if you were to plug that into credit unions that would be fascinating to watch but then suddenly you know government would uh, not have much control in its fiefdom so I doubt that's going to happen, but that that rail solution that allows that you know conversion um, is is a big part of what's missing, in my opinion, to actual create uh, off chain value. So that would be my answer, Noah. 
is that because it's the same problem It's the same problem. We run into that middleman yeah. that, um, you know, suddenly if you, if you move in that direction, you inherit all kinds of crazy risks depending on where you are. Um, and, and a lot of people don't want to do that. So it naturally like creates a boundary in terms of how the technology can expand. Mm-hmm. And then the credit union um, idea, that's, that's pretty interesting as well. And especially if you could utilize something around the profit sharing side aspect of that as well, um, mm-hmm. distributing funds and, and uh, profits uh, dividends, all that sort of stuff, like throughout the community, um, that'd be a pretty interesting concept. Yeah, it would take some serious, serious, serious legal yoga. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah no doubt. You'd, about you'd that. have to do it somewhere far away from where I live. <laughs> yeah, like I, I can't imagine. There's a lot of stuff that I see. You know, an example would be like, okay, we're going to tokenize, dig, you know, real estate. Right? Sounds sexy. You know, we can create an NFT that has. You know, Noah's address, right? But you know, real estate is is you know some title that uh, is held by a third party, and then you have financing, and like you get you get into a lot of complexity that I really have to ask, what does the back end even look like for people that you know just say the one sentence we're going to tokenize real estate, right? Because that's super complex, and you're you're talking about interacting with government operating systems that are a little crazy outdated legacy ways of paper books in an archive like (laughs) yeah you're gonna have to pay property taxes and who's going to be the beneficiary of the distributed community and who's gonna you know pay that who's gonna hold the title there's all kinds of crazy questions you can ask um because you're plugging into an operating system you know the a lot of the legacy back end is pretty wonky yeah even like everyone knows there's ongoing maintenance costs with properties and all kinds of stuff so if uh joe's tokenized his little house there and he's got a billion tokens out there of those billion tokens who's going to be providing um income to be able to pay or revenue and things like that to pay for maintenance and i'm going to tokenize this place down to the nanometer have a couple billion governance tokens i want the plant (laughs) (laughs) no i mean you get into some crazy schemes if you really look at it uh to where you know it's hard to it's hard to track in my in, in a lot of ways how how are we going to plug into these uh legacy backends that are just crazy inefficient coded you know in terrible (laughs) ways if you look at it as like a its own operating system for that segment of 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 the economy um i don't know i i tend to think maybe the best better option is we try to be as innovative and make everything else as obsolete as possible Um, but then we get into the question of okay is that always safe probably not um you know, are there going to be areas where you could look at the example of um, foreign currency reserves like uh, off chain? It's hard to do in a way that doesn't have any type of risk. So, yeah. Well, gents, we're coming up to time. That's probably a good way to end it. Is there any sort of last words we want to have on the discussion today? It kind of got a little bit spicy there at times. Spice is always good. Yeah, I I think that as a technology, the greatest benefits uh, cryptocurrencies offer is number one, this ability to have fair access for everybody. Like every citizen of the internet, you know, can interact with the same rules and hopefully not have to deal with uh, block producers that are censoring them and all kinds of, you know, nonsense that is showing up in, in other areas. But I think there's a tremendous amount of value in that having real true fail, fair and equal uh, markets in terms of access. And the second is has to do with removing uh, intermediaries, which do have a significant cost in business. Um, they, do, they do have a significant cost in transactions. And uh, if we can build fair, open, transparent ecosystems that leverage the better parts of these technologies, we can build a lot of cool and innovative stuff. 
um, that just isn't possible in legacy systems. Uh, you know, it allows people to collaborate and be creative and uh, come together to create value in new ways. That's a beautiful thing. Um, but, you know, then you also have the, uh, I guess, legacy systems that don't want to be disrupted, don't want to lose any type of control or oversight. And, you know, that's kind of like the honeypot of crypto, in my opinion, is the, you know, happy meal NFT is halfway to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants wants to retain their little cut. Yeah. I don't no. have much to add. Uh, hopefully next week I'll, I'll have a bit more energy. I've been a bit sick, but <laughs> I All do right. just want to give a shout out to... Uh, the Sigmify public beta. <clears throat> you can check it out at sigmify.app and uh, you can play around with it. It's um, collateralized peer-to-peer -peer lending and uh, it's all open source. And um, yeah, I'm hoping we get some momentum on it. It's, it's pretty exciting to watch it come together. It's pretty slick. Yeah, definitely. Anyone interested, jump on there and perform perform some testing and, and uh, give some feedback. It's always warranted. Um, for myself, just a reminder also that ErgoHack's um, currently running, or not running, but registrations are open for ErgoHack. So if uh, throughout our discussion, if anything um, piqued your interest or, or um, sparked an idea in your mind, by all means, jump on there and register and, and see um, what you can come up with. So um, thanks, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure chatting once again for uh, this week's Hash It Out. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Have a good one. Yep. Have a good one. Time.